0: Welcome back to Following Noah on a Stormlight podcast. This week is episode 17. We will be going through chapter 57, 58, and 59 of The Way of Kings. I've been looking forward to recording this episode with you guys since we started this podcast. I've talked these chapters up since we started, and we're finally here. Uh, Elliot, what are your two words for these chapters?
1: My two words are cleverness and ideals
0: cleverness and ideals two very good words for this episode uh paul uh of mine were contemplating and colliding contemplating lots of c words colliding ideals cleverness all right let's discuss these all righty let's talk about ideals first our only non-c word
1: definitely so in the kaladin chapter chapter 59 that we're going to get to we get the the immortal words the first ideal of the the radiance and some more knowledge that we learn about that and we learned that there were more than just that, separate ideals amongst the orders of the, the Knights Radiant, and I found that super fascinating and fun to read about. So I had to throw throw that in as my my first word. Okay, good. And your second word, what's cleverness about? So cleverness was my second one, and this one came from the discussion between Kaladin and Wit slash Hoid on the the Shattered Plains where... They have a funny little discussion about cleverness and Kaladin defines it rather cleverly, I thought, and so I had to use that as a word. Nice. Nice. Uh Paul? So my, my two words,
2: uh, first of which being contemplating. That's kind of the the more like, like the more serious one. So so contemplating was with that awesome scene between Kaladin and Hoyd, which we'll get to more. They they talk about a lot of kind of deep stuff and, and, and really think about a lot of stuff that, you know, what is cleverness and stuff. So, so there was a lot of contemplating going on, I guess. And colliding there was kind of for that moment, which I loved. I love seeing the, the characters that we've learned about come together. And so this is that first kind of collision of two characters from really different situations kind of kind of coming together, and I'm super excited about that.
0: Yeah, you've mentioned that in the past that you've wanted uh, um, these characters start interacting more and we got our first uh, got our first nice scene.
2: Exactly. I'm so happy
0: about it. <laughs> I actually can't wait to to talk about this. righty. Um, before we do, let's discuss our spell check. We have three words this week. The first one, um, I will have Elliot try to say. Um, Elliot, could you try to say the, the the king that Hoyd talks that tells a story about, and he's the captain of the Wander sail.
1: Okay, Captain of the Wandersail. This name... This name I pronounce for myself as Darathil. That's the right name, right? Mm-hmm. Darathil?
2: Yeah, you did a great job. Yeah, Darathil. I, I feel pretty confident in my spelling of this one. Um, not so much in the others, but this one I put I with... Uh, D-E-R-E-T-H-I-L.
1: Ding, you got it. Ding.
2: Nice. Good start.
0: Exactly. All right. Nice job, guys. It
1: might go downhill from here. Well, it's a good exactly. start.
0: We'll, we'll find out. In That was the warm-up one. In the opening scene of Chapter 58 on that first page, Adolin is having wine with some of his friends. And one of his friends is from Royan's camp and Elliot would you like to say this name
1: I don't want to talk too much about my my thought process on this one cuz I don't want to give anything away to uh to Paul over there so I'll just go for it Yakamov Am I close
2: I think that I think that's right yep. from from what I remember Yakamov Okay uh, and, and to be fair, I, I write these before I hear Elliot say them, and so I'm gonna just stick with whatever I have before. And anyway, so that Elliot could say his best guess, you know. But I had Y A K A M A V.
1: So close.
2: Close. Was you... it an M O V at the end? Or no, an so K at the beginning.
1: Yeah, the first letter, which is what I didn't want to talk about because I didn't want to, want to spoil it for you, has a J on the beginning. Oh. And I've I've come across a, a theme here that Js seem to pretty exclusively have that Y sound and not the hard sound with it. So that was where I went the direction I did.
2: That's fair. I should definitely assume that we've seen that several times, obviously yep. with Yasna. The yep. and, and there's definitely been other
0: examples of that.
1: Yaakov and yeah, you know,
0: at least one other. Mm-hmm. For our last one, we have Noedon's alternate name that Dalinar discusses in his kind of mental debate if this is actually Noedon or not in his um in his vision that he gets. Elliot, how would you like to say this name?
1: I love learning more about Noedon as that's the the name of our podcast. Following on and we've just slowly been learning more and more about what that name means and it's been a, a fun journey so this was another little nugget on on Noadon but I knew this was going to be a a name for the the spell check when I when I read it so I'm going to go for it I read it as Bayerdin.
0: close you're very we- close um Paul how do they say it in the audiobook so as far as I understand it's Bujerden it is a mm. just sound
2: Yes. And so I wrote this, my first guess, that this isn't my official guess, but I thought it was very funny. I wrote B E G A R D N. And then I looked at it and it said B garden. And I was like, that can't be right. <laughs> so, so I switched it up a little bit. And the best guess I could come up with was B E J A I R E. D
0: E N. You have a lot of letters in the middle there. A lot, that, uh, lot of vowels. <laughs> you in do, there. yeah. Too,
1: too many, too many letters. It is B
0: A J E R D E N. I... Well, that
2: is a little too simple for Bajerden. <laughs> I, I must say, yeah, that was one. Uh, I really. I didn't hardly know what that. That was the hard
0: one. Not gonna lie, that was one of the hardest. It is a hard in one, In my opinion. And it's kind of fitting the though, others? because he's he's our he's the man we're following. So if he's not a little complex, then it wouldn't be very wouldn't be very fitting.
2: True. Yeah. Well, I think that's pretty cool. You know, we could we could our alternate title, I guess, could be following Bajardin. <laughs> right? spelled yeah, your way, yeah. Paul. Yes, <laughs> it's following B Garden. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's the go-to name, I think. That's the good
0: one. Yep. All right. Um, good work. Good work. Okay. It is finally time to talk about Chapter 57. It is finally time. Before we uh, really jump in, I want you both to open the picture that I sent you both. This is titled Sale, and it is by... 8-bit um, punch on deviant art and this is one of the first um, way of kings arts i ever i ever saw myself i really enjoy this piece piece it isn't like very it isn't terribly accurate as far as the descriptions of the shattered planes and um the scene but i i still really enjoy the piece what do you what, what are your thoughts
2: It's super pretty. Like the the landscape and kind of the ambient like glow
1: of the sky is really pretty. Yeah,
2: Uh, that that's really cool. I do
1: really like that. I was just gonna open with the same thing. I love the the color palette and the lighting on it. It's really striking when I first just opened it now. So this is really cool looking, but I I do see some of the inaccuracies that you're hinting at, like Caladin holding the spear. Right, which I'm pretty sure he wasn't wielding a spear, if I remember correctly.
0: You are remembering correctly. And and Sill's there, mm-hmm. and she's not. She's not there for the actual scene. And um, there's like they're like in a cave, which is kind of odd, but I I still really enjoy it. Very pretty,
2: like very well well designed. Um, and I guess that's part of what you know fan art is for and stuff super cool but but yeah
1: all right i love the i love how the ship is just kind of materializing out of the it looks like kind of out of the clouds in this uh Mm -hmm. in this depiction but in the although i suppose that could be kind of out of the smoke or the haze that's rising up from the fire because i love this scene in the book for all of the visual depictions of what Kaladin is seeing in the smoke of the fire as hoyd is is telling his story and i think this uh this piece of art does justice to that. Yeah.
0: All right. Cool stuff. Before we hit record, um, Paul, you said that you were surprised at the tone of this chapter and that I talked this specific chapter up as much as I did. Um, Do you care to explain that a little bit? Why were you surprised?
2: So for, I guess, a little bit for a few different reasons. it was kind of like th- this chapter 57 was kind of a a mix between, like, you know, there's kind of this cool moment where Kaladin and Hoyd meet, and they don't know the significance of that, each of them, respectively, or as far as we know.
0: Hoyd um, might know, but.
2: Yeah, I, that's what I was thinking. Hoyd may know, but Kaladin definitely doesn't. He's definitely clueless right. on that um but there's that and it's also like a a questioning chapter that they talk a lot you know about right like it was what is cleverness that was their conversation wasn't it or what is wit Mm -hmm. something like that yep um and and that was awesome i i really enjoyed that conversation but i guess for it to be like your top moment or, or or this like super super uh, big moment i i guess i expected a little more sentiment there i mean there was lots of great stuff and it, it was really good but i didn't Hoyd is awesome but I, maybe there's more significance to him but i didn't think your favorite would be kaladin and hoid were you
0: expecting some epic battle scene and you know like something a little bit more grand than two people talking by a fire i i wasn't i wasn't really expecting a battle scene
2: just from what i know about about you trevor i i know that your favorite moments would be more of like a more of like a conversation i think of more of like maybe the the scene with Noadon and, and dalinar or something mm. like that is what i would guess would, would be one of your top scenes um more of like learning about the the history or seeing some kind of like historic figure and almost more of like a more of like a lesson being taught if if that makes sense like a a cool moment um, in that aspect but I mean it's it's awesome so I definitely understand but I w- I was slightly surprised.
0: Gotcha. Um, let's backtrack a little bit from the meeting of Hoyd and. Kaladin. Before we get there um, we have a little we have a probably about half the chapter actually of 57. There's a good chunk of 57 that isn't Kaladin and Hoid. Um, the chapter opens up with Maps dying um, and he'd only received I think two or three dialogue pieces before this and so you're not supposed to be as torn up about this death as you were about Dunny uh, from a couple weeks ago uh, but it's it's still sad, obviously, and um, Kaladin takes it pretty personally, as he does with you know everything in his life. Um, Elliot, you have something on this outline. Do you want to do you want to take it from here?
1: I do. So. You're right in that the, the maps, the death of maps was not as emotional as losing Dunny was, but it, for me, it was more jarring. And I think it's just because the, the chapter opens up the very first line is maps delivering this pre death statement that he gives. And then he's dead just right off the bat there. And, you know, I forget what we were coming out of in the, in the previous chapter, but I don't think it was anything quite as actiony as a, as this. So it was, it was kind of like, Whoa, what just happened and as I as I read that statement that he gave I kind of had a realization we've seen a couple of these maps has just done it way back in the, in the beginning or I'm trying to remember which one if it was the the flashback or the the original one but when Kaladin was in Amram's army as a squad leader and the young boy in his squad died he delivered another line that was very kind of out of place and didn't really make sense with who he was and whatnot I realized that these pre-death statements are very very much in line with the epigraphs that we've seen in in part four. So the epigraphs that you see in this part and actually also in the the first part of the the book, they all deliver some kind of you know epic statement usually. and then they're followed by this almost like a note like twenty three seconds breath subject was you know blah, blah, blah. I think that those are the same thing that what we just saw maps deliver is another example of what we're seeing in these epigraphs. Now the epigraphs though, make me think that someone's out there like collecting these or, or noting these for some reason. I'm not sure what that's about, but all that, to all that to kind of pull together, I think those, those are the same and I think they have a lot more meaning than we're able to put together. Stop looking I, at me, Paul. I'll
2: be, I'll, I'll be honest. I... I was staring at Trevor during all of that because <laughs> I was trying to get any kind of clue at this is something uh, ever since we really got started in the book, every chapter begins with this whole, however many seconds pre-death. And I know it, it's gotta be something really big. And, uh, I was trying to try to watch Trevor and see if he would give away any information he started smirking. <laughs> so I, I think there's definitely more. We don't know about this that he wants to share but. Go ahead, Trevor. Go ahead
0: and share. I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. And but I will say you will learn more before the end of this book. So
1: it's it's being hinted at already because later on, you know, a couple of paragraphs down, Teft the the Bridgman, they talk about it. Like what was he saying as he was dying? And Teft says more often lately, it seems, referring to these, they're they're asking about, you know what are these? And they're saying they're happening more and more often. That seems to kind of hint it alongside a lot of the other hints that we're getting of something big, coming, something big is coming, something big is coming, something big is coming. I can't say that phrase apparently. And this is just more evidence of things kind of building towards a head of something is speaking through dying people. It's weird. Um, so if,
2: if, if we're all good, Something I'm super curious about, uh, before we get into the whole Hoyd conversation, still like in in the beginning of this chapter, I'm always a huge fan of Sylphrena, and I feel like we haven't heard much from her lately, like like we have in the past. In this book, we haven't had any really great Syl moments for a while, Uh, but this chapter we had something like really huge. Um, we find out that Syl is, you know, related with with Kaladin on this, and in with him, you know, kind of discovering this like surge binding business that he doesn't know about. And I'm I'm super curious to talk to y'all about this. Um, like I said, I I always love the Sill moments, uh, and this is one that, you know, we find out Sill isn't a windspring or what she is, and. We don't really know and, and I'm really glad because I definitely said in the past that Syl is at least a special windspren like she's definitely something more um, and so I don't know what she is but she's not a normal spren um, um, she
0: confessed to Kaladin that she's not a winspren. Mm-hmm. are there any guesses as to what she is
2: so maybe i was mishearing this i i only listened to that chapter once uh but i I heard this whole mention of like bonding and and bond spren i was wondering if that's a thing or if that's what she is because it seemed like she kind of bonded with kaladin and now kaladin bonds things right with his like or could with his lashings with this whole surge binding ability that we've learned about Hmm. um so if she's a Sprint, then that would be it, maybe. Or maybe I misheard that, um, but, but I don't know what you, she
1: is. You definitely didn't mishear it, because I, I was thinking along the same lines, in that same section where, you know, Calvin just straight up asks her, are you a Winsprin? She says, no. He says, what are you then? And she responds, I don't know. I bind things. And then in a, in a similar conversation, I guess later on, they talk about Bindspren and related to him, you know, sticking the rock or whatever he's got to the, the wall. So I don't know if she's hinting that she's a, a Bindspren or whatever it is. I think personally, I really want to go much larger scale here. In some of our previous chapters, I had questions about Dawn Singers. And we had a few hints that Dawn Singers were like the the good spirits of the world, kind of the opposites of Voidbringers going around the world and doing Good things and, and causing good things to happen. We didn't get very much detail on what dawn singers are, but I, my hope is that Syl is a dawn singer because that would be cool.
2: I also have a big thing with that, and honestly, my first thought once uh, once I found out about this that Syl was the reason that Kaladin was surge binding, as far as we know, was with Zeth does he have his own one that we don't know about that he can see right like how kaladin can see sil okay so my big question is now that zeth has to have or have had a self before right like if it's a dawn singer that'd be awesome but he he has to have had his own right to to be a surge binder or is that a characteristic of all the surge binders or is that specific to kaladin I, I i'm i feel pretty confident that that would be the case for all of them right and so i'm curious to see if zeth has a maybe if we ever get a chapter or something from his perspective or more maybe we'll meet his little wind you know and, and and he's kind of behind his his surge binding powers which i think would be super cool or maybe Maybe Syl is the one who's doing this for all people, and she's kind of gone around. So maybe she was previously with Zath. Maybe that could be a way that they get joined up together at some point. Because I feel like that has to happen. Somewhere down the line. I'm still rooting for that. So I'm super curious about
0: that. She has said to Kaladin that she's helped men kill before.
1: And more than once... She has had unexplained absences where there's sections where she's just gone and Kaladin doesn't know where she is. Correct. Ooh. Interesting. Mm. So so I wrote down the exact same thing you just said, Paul, in my notes when I read this too, because the the insinuation here in this section is that Kaladin's surge binding powers are either coming from or are kind of in conjunction with with Sill. My immediate thought was to Zeth. Does Zeth have to have? Does he have some sort of Spren companion too? Is the does Sill have an evil counterpart that's you know on Zeth's shoulder this this whole time? Like, whoa, that's a cool thought. And and why haven't we seen this thing before? I mean, aside from suspense and drama and plotting and all that kind of stuff, but you'd think that Zeth would talk to this little Spren person. Maybe not like Kalan does. I don't know. I'm gonna be really curious for the next Zeth chapter if we get one. So I want to step back just a second, unless Trevor wants to uh, add anything there. Nope, I'm good. (laughs) Figured not. I want to take a quick little step back in the the similar section of the the chapter and on, on similar stuff. Kaladin finally discovers for himself what's going on with him. I think this is the first time where he really finally understands that he is absorbing Stormlight and using Stormlight. And he, there's this funny scene where he accidentally attaches... I forget what he's holding. Is it like a bag of spheres or something? He's and got he his medicine bag. It.
0: He's lashing, He's That's fixing Tef's leg, and he, he's got his medicine bag. He just sticks it to the barrel.
1: Yeah. He accidentally sticks it to the side of the the water barrel that he's that he's sitting next to, and they like keep going, and then they like l- look at the medicine bag and like, uh, that's that's not possible. And I love that there's two segments. There's one where Lopin says, you know, to him, uh, Goncho, you- you're glowing. And then, and then again, <laughs> like when he runs into Sill, she just like appears, and she's like, oh, you're glowing. <laughs> so it's like. I don't know why, but that was hilarious for me. You could totally see those lines being pulled off in a movie with uh, some good comedy. But that was a fun section. And I realized that I think, I think what Calvin has just done is a full lashing. So I went back to the prologue where the Zeth chapter like walks you through the different things that he's doing with the stormlight. And we get some good descriptions of it. And he talks about, I forget all of them. There's like basic las- lashing, full lashing and reverse lashing, I want to say. Looking at those descriptions, I think what Kaladin has just done accidentally is a full lashing where he stuck the bag to the side of the thing. And he, he uses this to some pretty impressive effect later on in chapter 59, which we'll talk about. But this was a fun moment for me where Kaladin finally arrives to the point where we've been at for a little while and realizes what he's capable of. And he doesn't,
0: he doesn't handle it very well either. He. He yeah, he hates it. <laughs> he looks at Teft and Lopin, and they're like, "Dude, this is awesome!" And he like just runs away. Like he can't, he doesn't know how to handle it. And Syl also gets mad at him uh, before he runs away. That Kaladin says he's cursed, and Syl's like, "You think I cursed you?" And he kind of hurts her feelings. But um, he runs away and finds Hoyd. um, and. Setting up this, the reason why this this scene is so fun to me is because it's the way this is set up that we know Wit knows more than a lot of other people here. He's talking about the Cosmere. He's talking about the winds are changing to Dalinar. And this is the first crossover we've gotten between Dalinar and Sadius and Elokar and lowly Kaladin. Kaladin is just trying to survive and live day to day and Dalinar is trying to win the war but Wit um Wit um meets meets with Kaladin he he thinks or he has decided that it is important enough to go meet with Kaladin to not be by Dalinar's side when he might need him um and so the way this whole scene is set up I'll read a quote Kaladin has just walked up to, to Hoyd and they've kind of had their, their opening banter. And uh, this is Hoyd talking. This is a trailman's flute, Hoyd said, inspecting the length of Dark Wood. It is meant to be used by a storyteller, for him to play while he is telling a story. You mean to accompany a storyteller, being played by someone else who is while he speaks. No, actually I meant what I said, Hoyd said. How would a man tell a story while playing a flute? Hoyd raised an eyebrow, then lifted the flute to his lips. He played it differently from flutes Kaladin had seen. Instead of holding it down in front of him, Hoyd held it out to the side and blew it across his top. He tested a few notes. They had the same melancholy tone that Kaladin had heard before. This story, Hoyd said, is about Darathil and the Wander He began to play. The the actual story of it aside, I just love the the writing and setup of of this scene. Brandon Sanderson is really um, really in his element here. He's he set up the the shattered planes. They're out by themselves. The the smoke from the fire. I I just and it's like twilight. Um, I can visualize this scene so well in my head, and I I really like it.
1: for me chapter 57 has been my favorite ch- chapter of the book so far and i think the reason why is i feel like i've already gotten the impression that hoyd is more than he seems that hoyd or wit is a he's a mover he's a shaker on the potentially the the universe level at least i'm getting that impression and so for him to have this encounter with Kaladin makes me feel like in this scene right here calden has finally stepped up to the world stage. It's no longer Caledon, the Bridgman dealing with his own struggles with his, you know, individual little scenarios. I think I'm curious to see where this is going to go with the rest of the book, we're we're running out, there's not a a whole lot left here. But I think this may be the moment that launches him into, he's no longer just affecting the people around him, he's going to start affecting the entire world, he's going to start affecting the events that are are shaking the entirety of of Rochar. I think, or maybe I, maybe this is me hoping, but I I think that's what this scene is: is Caledon kind of arriving, and it feels powerful. And I felt I felt that as I was reading this, and that was that was what I liked about this chapter the most. I I do
2: have to say, I, I agree with with a lot of what you said, Elliot. And the more I think about it, the more I can kind of understand a little more why this why my Trevor specifically would like this chapter. So I think it's extremely important that this conversation is with Hoyd and Kaladin. Cause because I keep thinking about, you know, I kind of want these different storylines we've seen to come together in a way. And, and from what we know about the characters, Hoyd is different from the rest. And we right. don't fully understand how, but we know that he knows a lot. And he definitely is different. And and so I think it's really important and seems intentional from Hoyd, right? And so I think you're right. I think this is kind of that step up to separate from the bridge crew almost, like, like to what he's doing in the bridge crew to something that will potentially become a more worldwide thing and like a bigger scale, like you said. Um, but Hoyd is really the only character that I feel like would know this for whatever reason we don't even know how or why or what or anything but we just know like if anyone would be Hoyd, so I-, I think that's super important and cool
0: he's also he, he's also uh, hinting to the reader not necessarily to Kaladin maybe to Kaladin a little bit that he knows exactly who Kaladin is and yeah. that he can search mind that he, he doesn't he doesn't confront him with it, but he holds up a sphere and's like, "No, I'm attached to my stormlight. Don't come any closer." <laughs> and and uh, Kaladin's like freezes. He's like, "Wait, what?" He's like, "Oh, just I just don't want you to steal my sphere." <laughs> and, Wink. Yeah, he's just he's just playing with his mind. It's it's such a funny scene to me.
1: I will say, I knew that this was wit the moment he opened his mouth. It it didn't me tell too. us who he was until later, but the first line he delivers, I I realized, that's Wit. That that's just he, the way he talks, and it was some clever writing. I will say though, I was a bit surprised because the last time we saw Wit, I thought that Wit was was signing off. He had he had told Dalinar the Cosmere needs me. I'm out. I thought that was the last we were going to see of him. I I don't know why. I, I should have maybe expected this, but. To, to see him come back immediately was a bit surprising to me and and played into the fact of the importance I felt in this chapter of Hoyd just told Dalinar, the Cosmere needs me. Where do we see him next? Talking to Kaladin, which I think, Trevor, you may have hinted at. Like, right. Whoa. Kaladin, Kaladin's important, or at least he's going to be.
2: I, I totally agree. As soon as I heard anything with the conversation i was like this is this is the wit like <laughs> i just kind of knew i don't even fully understand how i knew i just just knew and stuff and i think it was really cool
1: the only thing about this scene that made me kind of question what i just heard and i'm kind of skipping over the story part maybe we'll, we'll mention something about that in a second but at the end of this hoid walks away and sil reappears and she doesn't say something like pithy or wise or clever what did she say i don't like that guy yep i hit that moment i'm like wait what we just had this pretty epic scene where kaladin meets someone on the the world stage you know someone who's way more important than anyone he's probably ever talked about and then you're expecting still to kind of come in and say oh that was big that was important see kaladin you matter no she comes in and says I don't like him. Huh? That has me scratching my head hard. I don't know what you guys felt about that. Paul,
2: I didn't think about it and now I'm
1: kind of upset.
2: <laughs> 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 I I don't I I know that's like a super uh, that has to be way bigger than we think. Like way bigger than it seems. We're thinking about it right now as it be it could be something big. But I, I'm honestly lost. I, I don't I don't know.
1: Yeah, I don't know if I'm reading more into that. I mean, Trevor's face is probably telling me that I'm I am reading the correct amount into this, but <laughs> when I first saw it, it's just kind of like wait, hold on. I was I was getting this whole epic build up feeling of yes, Kaladin's coming too, this is good. Hoid gives him the flute, you know, heading off on a on a on a good direction, and then I don't like that guy. Syl's supposed to be kind of like the voice of reason, the the one you always listen to, and then, like, wait, no, 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 we're supposed to trust this guy. This is the old, wise, you know, advisor guy who just told the young hero, you know, this is your moment to save the world, and then our voice of reason just said, I don't like that guy.
0: Right. My, the reason why I'm smiling is because you guys established that Syl has not been telling com- the complete truth. She's not a windspread. So... And the fact that she comes in and says, "I don't trust the, the Gandalf figure here," it's, it's very, it's very amusing to me.
2: I have to say, Trevor, your uh, nonverbal communication is definitely <laughs> being analyzed here. Like I, every I, time we talk about something, we're like staring, <laughs> staring right at you. I, I am let's aware. I'm well, trying. I've actually see, been no, trying to no do. Reaction is just a.
0: I've been trying to do false tells tonight, actually. I've been trying to laugh and smile at everything. Yeah, I was going to say, if you don't laugh or
2: smile, then we're like, "Uh uh-oh, right, this is big. (laughs) And if you do laugh at something, then it's also like, oh, this is big. So honestly, there's just nothing you can do. I'm sorry. Yep. I was thinking we should get you something to cover your face with, but that'd be just (laughs) us. It's literally the same thing. Let's Let's do the rest of the podcast like this. Yeah, there you just, go. exactly. Just book in front of the face. Yeah. Yeah. I
1: got to say the stakes are getting higher and higher the further we're going. And I think that's why, Paul, you and I are desperate for any clues of what's coming next because the, the tension is just kind of getting ratcheted higher and higher and higher. And I'm, I'm feeling more and more of the what's coming next, what's coming next. I got to read, you know, how is Trevor reacting to this? Where are we going? That's That's kind of what I'm feeling right now.
2: For sure. And, and and this was the first of our few chapters. And this is definitely like this is probably my favorite chapter from this episode. But there's still so much awesome stuff that happens.
0: Like there is. We haven't even talked about On yet, yeah. and that's our podcast <laughs> title. Exactly, exactly. Before we before we push to chapter fifty eight, I and I will deliberately make this brief. I want a quick thirty-second synopsis of the actual story that Hoyd tells Kaladin. I want your guys's um your guys's thirty just thirty-second thoughts of the story itself that Hoyd tells Kaladin.
1: I can I can try. So Hoyd tells a rather parable-ish sounding story of this king slash adventurer slash captain who goes who goes west and all. I'll briefly mention I found that interesting because a lot of our other kind of ominous, foreboding, whatever has mentioned east towards, they've called it the origin where the storms come from. That's like where Dalinar is fascinated, that's where everyone else is. And now we're getting a story about going west, which was, I don't know, odd. Anyway, goes west, finds an island, lots of strange people, not really sure what's going on. They seem really nice, they seem really helpful. They murder each other when mistakes are made or they do something wrong. And they find this kind of strange, and the people just say, oh, well, the emperor demands perfection. This king, what do we say his name was? Darathil? Mm-hmm. Darathil says, okay, that's not cool. Let me go talk to this emperor. He goes into the, the tower where the emperor's supposed to be, finds that the emperor's actually dead and been dead for a while. So all these people have been murdering each other for nothing over these past few years. They feel so terrible about it, they start, you know, wrecking their island or something like that. Darathil grabs his people and runs, and that's the whole story?
0: that's the whole story. Do you know, do you remember the punchline from from what's her face that joins the crew,
1: Nafti? I remember her joining the crew. don't da- remember off my.
0: Darethel asks her why everyone was so distraught that they found their emperor was dead. Darethel was thinking like, "Well, if your emperor is dead, just, you know, stop killing each other." But Nafti says, "No, you don't understand. If he's been dead this entire time, The deaths aren't his fault. They're our fault. And we then have to take responsibility for that. And that's what they can't cope with. Um, So. The real. The real kicker that Kaladin gets out of the story. Is taking responsibility for actions. And then Wit turns it around on him immediately. And says. Okay so what do you need to take responsibility for Kaladin. And Kaladin's like. Wait, what? We weren't talking about me, and <laughs> and Witz like, no, yeah, we are now. Uh, what do you need to take responsibility for? Um, but yeah, that's the, that's what Kaladin gets out of the out of the story anyway. Any thoughts on responsibility taking for Kaladin? Because on my first read through, that was my thought was Kaladin's thought of. I think Kaladin takes too much responsibility. He he puts too much pressure on himself, and he like he takes everyone under his wing, and is frustrated that people die, even when he couldn't do anything about it. But Kaladin actually has a a thought of I need to stop blaming outside outside things um, that happened to me in my life. He thinks he's cursed. He thinks that there's a god up there somewhere that is deliberately making his life hard and that's what he's blaming all of his failures for. Um, Do you guys have any thoughts about this?
1: I think Kaladin is struggling with the difference between blame and responsibility. This little section here is, yeah, getting him to process taking responsibility for what can he do. Do you, you think of the, or the Spider-Man line with great power comes great responsibility. And Kaladin is learning that he wields this pretty impressive power. And I think the question pretty quick going to be put on him, what's he going to do with this? How is he going to make a difference? But you're right and that. I, I would agree with you that I think Kaladin tends to go a little too far with that. He takes maybe so much responsibility that he blames himself for everything, which is a little bit too far, I think. And he, he does a lot of damage to himself mentally because of that.
2: I'm I'm actually super glad you brought that up because, in all honesty, that's the only thing about Kaladin's storyline that annoys me. Uh, I feel like that's been a very recurring theme, and and I understand the uh, we we've learned about his like depression and he always has this like internal struggle. But sometimes I'm like, come on, get, give yourself a break, you know, like yeah. like with the. The surge binding, for example, once he like kind of figured that out, he was just super upset and like, "I'm cursed! Stop this and stuff!" And I was like, "Like, just hold on a second. It's kind of cool. Like, just just take a deep breath and stuff." And with that, and the any death that happens, you know, he he takes it insanely personally. Um, and, and in all honesty, that's like the only thing that kind of annoys me about his storyline, but. Um, but I do understand it, you know, and and I do like this story for kind of bringing that up a little more, you know?
0: Right. Um, Well, and that's Sill's voice in this chapter is Kaladin's like, how do I get rid of this? Like once he figures out he's search binding and Sill's like, well, wait a minute. Why would you, why would you want to get rid of it? This is kind of cool. Like, (laughs) why, why is this a problem? But Kaladin's like, no, this is I'm I'm cursed. I need to get rid of this immediately. Um, so yeah, I, c- I can understand a, a little bit of uh not liking that part of Kaladin. And I I wonder if Kaladin thinks the same that
2: Yeah, I, I think it's an intentional flaw, honestly. Like I think it's you know, just p- part of his character. He he's a pretty like we need to do this this way, like hard headed character um and so that's that's totally fair I, I feel like it's pretty fitting for him um it it, it can be a little frustrating because you're like come on like just it's kind of cool <laughs> like just give it a shot right uh and stuff but um
0: for for it kaladin it's all or nothing right either he's the wretch and he doesn't care about anything or anybody and is completely disconnected or he cares about everybody and takes everything extremely personally so Alright, any closing thoughts on fifty-seven? We can push through to fifty-eight. Okay. Um, similar to fifty-seven, our our big scene that we're gonna want to talk about isn't isn't the first scene we get. The, our first scene we get is Adolin. And Adolin is sitting in a wine house with some of his friends, and they're talking about a couple different things, but they're talking about Dalinar's perspective on or outside perspective on Dalinar, like how everybody sees Dalinar and how they see um, his troops. And um, Damlin is Adolin's love interest at the moment. And um, she's pretty soft-spoken, but even Damlin herself has said that, you know, he should relax on some of these rules. And Adolin is actually there to defend Dalinar. Dalinar's been saying or Adolin's been wanting some of the rules to be re- relax himself, but then when somebody else brings it up, he immediately defends his father and says, Well, no, we need to be able to be presentable, and this is why this is uh, the case. Um, and as he starts walking through the war camp, he sees he starts seeing it from his father's perspective of, well, I can at a moment's notice, I can see who Dalinar's soldiers are. I can't see who the rest of these soldiers are. I don't know who's going to be able to help me in a moment's notice, but if all of Dalinar's soldiers are in uniform at all times, I can know when I can know where to go to help, right?
1: I think it, it does it does say a lot about Adolin's character and that he he'll challenge his father and he'll he'll argue with him and he'll tell him what he thinks that he needs to do. He's he's very outspoken. But when it when push comes to shove he's going to get behind his father and back him up. And I think that is honorable in, in Adolin to show that loyalty to his family and his father. He trusts his father, even if he doesn't trust him at the same time, he, he's unsure of what his father is going to do or what he's capable of or what's going to happen with his madness. But at the same time, he's, he's still willing to support him, which is, which is cool. I also noted from this chapter that Adolin loves fashion. Yes, he does. And
2: there's,
1: like three sections in the beginning of this where he just like rambles about fashion and i was a little bored but it was funny
0: it's it's supposed to it's supposed to show you that there's definitely two parts to to um adolin he's definitely the duelist, but he's also definitely the ladies man of wants to dress up and wants to drink wine and wine houses that type of thing
2: I I also so slight step back um, to what Elliot was saying. I think that was my favorite part about this chapter because I feel like we have, especially in this storyline with Dalinar and Elokar and Sadius. I feel like we see a lot of the light eyes that Kaladin hates, in, in that there's these people who feel like there's not like a backbone. Really feels like at the drop of a hat they may fall to like cowardice or things like that and i feel like this is kind of a moment where we see adolin staying true to to his family and i guess like what they should be with i guess uh at least with like morals and implementation and stuff like that but i I thought that was a really awesome moment seeing him like Like you know stand true and kind of stand up for something right something that kind of goes against the grain right Uh, and i actually really like that and i think that's super important um i can agree that this or that the the fashion stuff wasn't the most exciting i actually kind of enjoyed it just because it helped me put a better like visual my mind of like what what the people look like maybe and, and like how they Dressed, which definitely isn't something that I would find interesting. You know, world building chapters going reminds me of Shalon. But, uh, <laughs> um, all jokes aside, but uh, but but it was pretty cool, and
0: we got a good
2: uh, Adolin moment there. I I enjoyed it.
0: I'm glad you put that spit on it, Elliot. That um, when push comes to shove, because I never, I didn't really think about it in that light. That. In private, he's willing to speak his mind and t- talk honestly with Dalinar about how he feels. But in public, he's going to back his father. In like, wh- If people are going to be talking about him and his ideals, he's going to support his father. Whether he completely supports it like 100% himself or not, he's going to side with his father no matter what. And that's...
1: Go ahead. And we may be giving Adolin a little bit too much credit because I think even in this this dialogue here, they talk about his companions even look at him and say, Oh, well, you were just criticizing your father the other day, or you were just doubting your father the other day, or something like that. But I I do agree with you, even if he doubts and even if he does share that doubt with some of his his friends, if his father is starting to be criticized, which is what happens in this, or if someone is starting to, you know, attack or or degrade his his father, he is right there to back him up. And that says a lot about Adolin, I think. Yeah.
0: All right. For the the, the real scene, why we're here of of chapter 58, um, Dalinar is quoting from memory an entire chapter of The Way of Kings to Sadius and Elokar. And this is a real... If you remember back to our following it on launch video this the excerpt we had overlaid is this excerpt that he's reading or part of it and this is this is one of the you know the way of kings quotes that you would you know put up in your put up on your wall or whatever and dalinar but not only knows that quote he knows the entire setting the entire story behind it and sets it up all up, all up for Sadius and elocart um, and at the end of it, Elokar and Sad Elokar and Sadius aren't entirely bored by it. They do like engage him in conversation. They criticize it, but they, at like they, they're open to it. They they have a discussion about it. You know,
1: I I was impressed with Sadius here in in this in this chapter actually. So this is another chapter, which has given me a little bit of hope for, for Sadius actually in that he does kind of mock Dalinar. Dalinar knows that whole section by heart. He even kind of makes fun of him for, for that. But at the same time, it almost seems more of like a playful banter. And he actually is asking some, some legitimate questions about what, uh, what Dalinar is, is quoting. And it makes me, it makes me think that Sadius is actually listening to him. He's, he's listening he's engaging he thinks this is actually really caught a little bit of his interest i noticed that elokar does not comment or ask any questions on anything that Dalinar is is reading but sadius does sadius engages a little bit and even closes out the chapter by asking for him to send someone to read more of the way of kings for him like whoa sadius that that's a big step for him
0: yeah i was going to i was going to point that out if you didn't At the end, at the very end of the chapter, he Sadius asks him, "Oh, by the way, could you send one of your clerks with the Way of Kings, and I'll listen to some more readings of it?" And Stalinar's like, "Heck yeah, brother,
1: yeah." It's like my little brother Trevor telling me for years that I need to read uh, this Way of Kings book by uh, by Brandon Sanderson, and then me finally one day saying. Okay, fine. I'll I'll read this book and and see what it's about.
0: And then here we are. I was gonna say, <laughs> I was gonna say, Paul, you probably have a similar similar story with mm-hmm. me.
2: Exactly. Now, yeah. First thing, uh, you read a little bit, and then we're like, all right. Th- this time, instead of sending for someone to read more, it's recording episodes every week. Yeah, <laughs> talking about it. Yeah, <laughs> to discuss
0: and learn more.
2: You know. Very cool, then.
0: Um, I do want to, I want to highlight something that Dalinar actually sees in himself. Um, there's like, there's a jibe that Sadius had, like an offhand comment that Sadius has, and I'll read it for you guys. The, uh, this is Sadius talking. The shattered Plains are quickly becoming a destination for foreign dignitaries. It is important to present ourselves properly. He he raised a finger to Dalinar. If I am to accept your moral superiority, my friend, then perhaps it is time for you to accept my sense of fashion. One might note that you judge people by their clothing even more than I do. Dalinar fell silent. That comment stung in its truthfulness. Still, if the dignitaries were going to meet with the High Princes on the Shattered Plains, was it too much to ask for them to find an efficient group of war camps led by men who at least looked like generals? I, I enjoy this um, that part of Dalinar's thinking because he realizes he's right that Sadius doesn't really care what you're wearing as long as you know you look nice and he'll he'll make fun of your clothing or whatever but Dalinar thinks that you're morally inferior for not wearing your uniform and Sadius is like you need to chill man like there's <laughs> like. There's there's people that can be honorable without wearing, you know, their uniform all the time. And Dalinar's like, "Oh yeah, maybe." Well,
2: I think I think it's really good to hear that conversation or that this happened because in the same way that Sadis is kind of starting to starting he's kind of starting to to open up a little bit and listen to what Dalinar has to say. He's also bringing up very valid points to Dalinar, you know. But you know, it, it's not that maybe this isn't as big of a deal as you thought it to be. And, and we've really seen a lot of this with with Sadius lately, which I think is cool because you know Sadius is probably not our favorite character, um, but but he he's definitely getting some real moments where we can see he he's not unreasonable let's say like like with this with his you know his thoughts here he, he's he's giving it at least a shot and he's being open-minded and, and he's learning and, and and trying to grow and, and do some work here which which i think is really good we're kind of getting a little more redemption for sadius he's not that bad we're so so we can see here at least
1: um I, I'm getting the same vibes. I, I thought this was good, and that they're they're at least having a conversation. They're listening to each other. Sadius is listening to Downer. Downer is listening to Sadius and saying, "Oh, maybe I need to think about this," or "Oh, maybe I need to think about this." That's a step, certainly in the right direction. I do feel like though we're maybe at a, at a bit of a, a crossroads with Sadius. Either he's going to now start taking more steps towards honor and towards becoming Downer's friend. Or he's just going to maybe kind of touch this a little bit and then you know completely fly back into a, a dishonorable state that maybe we kind of viewed him before. So I'm I'm reserving judgment for Sadius now, but I've got some hope for him. I've got some hope.
2: If I had to guess, I don't think he's going to take the honorable path. I think he's going to get his glimpse here. And then if Dalinar does something that he doesn't like, I think he's going to be like, okay, whatever. Uh, I don't like this anymore, and just kind of cut that off, and then be like, "I gave it a shot." Um, but I he, do want to see him make the turnaround, but that's my prediction if that is to
1: happen. Sadius, has definitely filled the role of villain in the book so far. In, in a book that, if you think about it, doesn't honestly have that many villains that you can put a put a name on, Sadius is maybe the closest to that. So. I, I agree with you paul it maybe would seem i'd be pretty surprised if if sadius were to do a, a huge redemption turnaround and become one of the the heroes begin, because then who's the villain who is there to who is there to hate and maybe there's a new character coming in to fill that void maybe there's not but there'd be some there'd be some imbalance from heroes to villains if uh sadius were to to jump over
2: yeah he was chosen to destroy the sith not join them right <laughs> <laughs> uh yes i i i can agree there i honestly so we've we've always seen sadius as this like immoral character and being a villain in that way he's kind of like the one that you can't get behind his his method of work you cannot like like his his use of bridgman and stuff it's just really immoral kind of kind of turns your stomach you know um but I, I definitely, you're right, I guess there's really not a huge villain right now in, in the series, and, and Sadius may be the most apparent one. I think the biggest villain, or or what is to be the biggest villain, are the people who are getting behind I and I always try to worm him into these conversations, but... <laughs> I feel like there's got to be something way bigger there. There's definitely got to be something bigger than Sadius's immoral behavior, and that's what I'm thinking of. I haven't thought of Sadius that intently as a as a villain so far. I don't like his his morals, but you know, he's not like the the big bad guy.
0: But yeah, there's a big difference between somebody who's living in a moral life and somebody that Dalinar doesn't agree with morally and somebody who's evil who's telling who's telling zeth to go kill all these people we don't know we don't know why they're uh we don't know why that's the case dalinar and Sadius are beginning to work together beginning to see more eye to eye and at what point and it's because dalinar is willing to have more of a conversation um and Sadius is willing to have more, more of a conversation. But um, at what point is Dalinar sacrificing some of his own morals to do so? Um, he's begun to work with Sadius, and he's publicly denounced Sadeus's, uh bridge run um, tactics. He says that, I refuse to use Bridgman because it uses Bridgman, it wastes lives. Um so is Dalinar working with Sadius is is that a problem for Dalinar's morals? Bec- is he supporting that because he's working with Sadius?
1: It it's a tough question. It really is. I I don't know cuz the chapter does kind of end with Dalinar agreeing to use Bridgman. Elokar, I think pushes for it and says well, hey, you could use. How about you compromise and you go use some of Sadius's Bridgman and he does he does agree to, only after it being explained to him that he would still be the second army there, and the Brisbane shouldn't take any any fire there. But yeah, I think there is a point where he he would be compromising too far and be really supporting Sadius's methods, which I don't know that he's there yet, but he's gonna have to watch himself.
0: At what at what point would you say? That line is crossed for him because he refuses to use it himself, but he's going to work with Sadius who does it for him. Like, how is how is that any different? He's using, like, let's say Bridge Four helps Sadius across the across the chasm, and Dalinar is going to be there later. How is how is Dalinar not at fault there as well? Because that was part of the plan originally.
2: I feel like he's almost. I thought of it more as he, he's almost reeling Sadius back a little bit. like. So I guess Dalinar's thing is he never wants to cause an extra life to be lost that doesn't need to be in, in this specific scenario with the Bridgemen. And maybe I remembered incorrectly, but as, as far as I remember did Sadi like, so with with Dalinar using the bridgeman, I the whole premise of that is so that he can get there faster um, so that they can fight better and that that can all be, you know, taken care of um, but aren't they still using the wheeled bridges at the end to, to cross or wasn't that the, the premise is that they're getting close with the bridgeman maybe, so, maybe I was wrong with that.
0: So that you're correct, that um, Dalinar is using the bridge Bridgemen to get there faster, but then using the siege bridges to end the assault. Um Or the fact that you can that the archers will be distracted by Sadius already there, and the Bridgemen can um assault without being harmed. Um from de- from Dalinar. But what I was trying to what I was pointing out is that just the fact that Dalinar is working with Sadius in the first place, he is then supporting the use of Bridgman. He's supporting Sadius's use of Bridgman to get there first, is what I'm saying.
2: I see what you're saying. I I actually don't think that's a super big thing for Dalinar. Um, obviously, he, he was extremely skeptical and, and didn't want to do that and didn't want to cause anything else bad to happen and, and i'm pretty sure he was pretty straightforward about that and they were like no 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 it's okay like we'll do this so that that doesn't happen and so i feel like that's almost a a compromise to kind of pull sadius back a little bit i guess it doesn't really affect how sadius is running things and that they are still using bridgman um but yeah he is kind of towing the line there of like using bridgman as long as no one gets hurt right right um, so, so that's an interesting thing, I guess. Um,
1: it it is a really tough ethical question. I, I don't know that I can fully justify what you're saying, Trevor, in my mind for for Dalinar. Is, is it okay for him to even participate in a bridge in a in a plateau run with Sadius when he knows that Sadius is is doing this deplorable thing of of using Bridgman as as bait as meat shields? I, I don't know. But at the same time, I feel like he's got to have to, like you're kind of saying, Paul, I think he's got to reach out to Sadius somehow. He's got he's to gotta do something in order to work with Sadius. He can't just lock his gates at his work camp and say, I'm never going to speak to you again because you do this, this thing. I think he's going to make more of a difference by working with Sadius than completely shutting him out. And while, yes, that does mean him participating in something that's maybe morally or ethically dark i don't know at the same time i don't know that that justifies it but i think that's the intent right
2: i can agree so there's one more thing that i want to say about that i, I don't know if you'll have i've been thinking a lot about this sadius being a big villain so far and i would actually say that shallan i, I don't mean to get off topic here. But I think Shalon is a much bigger villain than Sadie is so far. I was like not much bigger.
0: <laughs> I, okay, okay. Back up, back up. I would just like to point out here, highlight the fact here that you're the one bringing Shalon up and she hasn't been in this part at all ever. All the three of us, I would think you'd be the last one to bring Shalon up.
2: Yes, and that's because she's a villain <laughs> and this is and I mean I mean we've known she she's obviously, you know, the great blooming little happy character at the beginning right and then we found out that her whole mission for going to the palinaum etc is to steal the soul caster from yasna Colin mm-hmm. and use it for her own family's personal gain which albeit i was gonna say honorable but no <laughs> it's like you know she's doing it for her family but but it's a very like intent, disruptive, stealing intent, and, and I think that's way more villainous than the moral questions that we're having with Sadie. Which, which Sadie is, is, you know, you could say there's been thousands of lives lost at at his hands, so that is horrific. Uh, but as far as villainous nature in the character, I think Shalana is actually a bigger villain. Um, that's, I can that, see that's the blog post.
1: I can see the blog post just now. Shalon is the real villain of the Way of Kings. Changed my mind. Yeah, I'm yes. I'm
0: sorry, Paul, but you have gone completely off the rails here, dude. Like, <laughs> how are you? Mate, okay. okay, you have Zeth, who kills everybody, d- despite but what. That's... Okay, I un- I understand. I understand your argument. You have Sadius, who throws Bridgman lives away for gem hearts, and you're going to argue that Shalon, who tries to steal a soulcaster, is the villain. Doesn't even succeed. She tries.
2: Okay, so Zeth, leave him out of this. Okay? <laughs> um, so, but um, okay, so I'll i say Sadius is probably a bigger villain than than uh, Shalon. But you cannot say just because she wasn't successful that it was not bad for her to go there. And what if she did steal the Soulcaster? Isn't that like a really big deal? Like, that's Oh, sure. Kind of a huge deal. Absolutely. It's like major and stuff. And just because she wasn't successful, I don't think makes her case any better.
1: I, I do want to interject here. We're not done with this book yet. I, I don't know. Maybe Yasna's the villain. We really have this discussion. I I mean we don't even know right I mean there's we've got to finish this part four with with Dalai and Calvert and then we launch into a into a part five which you know okay I admit I flipped ahead a little bit to see what the page numbers look like it is much shorter than okay. the rest but I things are ramping up I have no clue what's going to happen in that part five that could completely change everything I think it's so funny
0: that we are eight hundred pages into a book and we're having this conversation of who's the villain. We don't know who the villain is. We're 800 pages yeah. in, and we don't know who the yeah. villain is.
2: I I never really thought about it until Elliot just brought that up. But I was thinking about it, and I was like, well, the most outright devious action we've seen, I feel like, is basically Shalon's intent to steal the Soulcaster. The rest were, like, less intentional. I mean, Sadis is a definitely the worst as far as like casualties and stuff zeth i don't feel like qualified like his is horrific that he's killed so many people but we know he never like wanted to and he never would have if he wasn't ordered to do so and (laughs) that's kind of a bad excuse like yeah i was told to do it so i just obeyed but like there's got to be so much power in that oath stone that we don't fully understand but we know it's incredibly binding that he can't do anything about it okay
0: so but so. what so what happens when it's the emperor on the island and there's actually nothing to the oath stone is Zeth a bad guy then i
2: mean if if he really if he really had the power to just not kill people and it was just some stupid like bet like but you won't do this like (laughs) you know then yes that is Zeth zeth's actions would not be dismissible but from what we know dismissible is a strong word (laughs) yes uh but from what we know zeth would not have done anything wrong if if it weren't for the stone.
1: true. To, to back you up a little bit, Paul, before we cut this tangent off because we're going all sorts of places with, with this, mm-hmm. I, I think what what you're what you're talking around a little bit is is intent in, in looking for the in looking for the villain. We might look for okay, who has the intent to cause the most evil, if you will. And while Zeth is certainly doing the most damage, the most destruction, it's definitely not his intent. He feels. Maybe he shouldn't be bound to this O stone, but but he certainly feels that he is. And so he's not necessarily intending to wreak the destruction that he is. sadius is is ruining a lot of lives, but he's more just kind of doing it out of ignorance or selfishness or whatever it is. He's not, you know, going out and and trying to murder thousands of people, although maybe you could argue that case. The really only direct villain we've seen is the the ominous dark character that we don't even have a name for yet, which is who's controlling zest so he's obviously a villain i say he maybe it's a she whoever that is is clearly a villain but as far as like villains we've actually encountered is Shalon the one with the most <laughs> ill intent maybe maybe
2: she does have mixed feelings i'll give you that she didn't really want to but she kind of had to you know Whole other story. I apologize for the long tangent, but (laughs) I thought it was my big thought was... I enjoyed it. Shallan had this very devious intent, and that was why she went there, and we found that out. It wasn't just to study and stuff, even though she enjoyed it, and definitely wanted
0: to go back on that. Um, But, yes. Alright, chapter 59. Let's... uh, Elliot, I'll let you start this, because you've got some interesting things uh, right off the bat on this outline
1: so alongside of a handful of other topics maybe the one at the very top of my list of what i want to learn more about as we move forward in this book as we move towards the end and, and on into other books are the knights radiant i'm fascinated by the knights radiant, especially the the version of them that dalinar is seeing in his in his flashback the very powerful very seemingly honorable and cool i'll use the word cool shard bears that we see the knight's radiant there we've gotten some hints recently about the different orders of the the knight's radiant and i find that super cool we've had a couple mentions of those and i want to learn more i think we've learned so far that there's 10 orders of the knight's radiant i want to learn more about that but chapter 59 started to give me some more background to the knight's radiant and Oddly enough it's all coming through the mouth of Teft which I I would not have guessed this this chapter this section of chapters has revealed to us that Teft at least in a past life is part of some secret society that's like awaiting the return of the knight's radiant or something like that he's dropped a few lines like that but he has a few sections where he's talking about the the ideals of the knight's radiant i found it really fascinating he talked about the the immortal words and basically, we've seen this phrase before, life before death, strength before weakness, journey before destination, these pieces, but he fleshes it out for us even more and goes on this really cool speech, if you will, about those and about how a, a radiant, a true radiant defends life and a true radiant stands up for those that are weak and a true radiant considers him his actions that he's taking, not just the, the end goal that he's going for. And I found all of that really, really inspiring to be honest. Like those are, those are words that, you know, I could pull out and read and really get some, some inspiration for my own personal life from it was some, it was some cool stuff, which is why one of my words for this, this episode was ideals. Cause this, this section was really, uh, really cool. I will say that he also mentions on top of mentioning the, the immortal words, the first ideal he says that there are four later ideals that were different for every order of the radiance and so my mind starts to go a lot of different places with this like ooh okay was was each subdivision of the radiance each order devoted to like a different virtue or like a different goal where, where some orders may be intended for like healing and others for maybe defending in battle and others for maybe, military prowess to go and fight the enemy and others for maybe building and protecting like engineers or something like that. It, it sparked a lot of cool possibilities for me of what the Knight's Radiant could be. And I hope we learn more.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, I remembered what I was going to say. Teft uh, Teft kind of cracks down on Kaladin. Um, he kind of gets offended by something Kaladin says. Um, Kaladin kind of offhandedly mentions that the the Night Radiant in this room is, is bored or tired or whatever. And Teft kind of snaps back at him It's like, no, 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 you're not a Night's Radiant. Night's Radiant, do these yeah. things and these things and say these oaths. You're not a Night Radiant. Don't you dare say that. Um, you're a Surge Binder. Yeah, you can you can suck in Stormlight, whoop-de-doo, but you're not a Night Radiant. Don't say
1: that. I will say, too, this didn't come as a surprise to me. I think my brain may, maybe had already made this connection, but it's now explicit in the, the book here. Teft basically spells it out that these ideals that the Radiance followed are from the way of Kings. I'll, I'll read the section cause it's kind of humorous. And he says, here's what Teft says. There was some old King who came up with all of this. Had his wife write it down in a book or something? My mother read it. The Radiance based the ideals on what was written there, that that seems clearly a reference to Noadon and the Way of Kings, in in kind of a funny way. I, I highlighted some old king, as you know, Noadon, this guy that we're we're following. Yep. I thought that was that was kind of cool. Yeah, they're done with their conversation. They've kind of talked about the
0: um the frustrations of not being able to use the stormlight when he wants to. He's trying. He's tried for a week and he can't recreate um, sucking in stormlight. And then Brightness Heshal walks up. And he gets angry at her, and he sucks in Stormlight. Um, and there's a quote here that I want to read from her. Um, Kaladin is the first one to speak. Every bridge run, Kaladin said, you're going to make us go on every one. Yes, she said idly, tapping on her for her barriers to raise her. Your team is just too good. It must be used. You'll start fir- full-time bridge duty tomorrow. Consider it an honor. Kaladin inhaled sharply to keep himself from saying what he thought of her, honor. He couldn't bring himself to bow as she retreated, but she didn't seem to care. I wanted to read that because there's a very interesting use of a specific word, and that is honor. We have talked about this word multiple times, and Elliot, I think you said it was the theme of part one, or part two. Um yep. But if you remember back to chap the title of chapter two, I believe, the title of chapter two is Honor Is Dead. Kaladin thinks that Honor is dead. And Hush Hushal uses the word so flippantly here that consider it an honor to double your workload without any increased pay. And double the the rate that you'll your Bridgeman will die. Um that's a sore that's sore word for Kaladin. Any any thoughts there?
1: It's It's more is more evidence for Kaladin's very deep seated hatred of Light Eyes. I mean she's throwing around this word that should mean so much more, but she's almost using it as a weapon of Oh well this should be an honor for you to serve, you know, in, in this manner and completely misusing what that is what that is supposed to be. So it it's gonna feed Kaladin's hatred of Light Eyes and their false honor. Paul, any thoughts?
2: I I was gonna say like honor honestly has been the most probably the most repeated like notion throughout the entire book yeah. like the beginning of the book starting with Honor's dad, and and how many times we brought that up so the biggest thing with honor here i feel like is the stark difference between the honorable characters that we've seen and this fake honor that's with these like lowly light eyes that we see a lot of these kind of like scoundrel light eyes characters we've seen like gaz and uh, the characters among his ranks right right um and and so we we see this like misuse of the word honor and it really kind of like taints that that word and that meaning for people like kaladin and honestly most of these characters you know there's not a good
0: display of true honor for the public there right except for Liran, and, but even he's tainted.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And we we even talked, I think, early on in the book in some of those first chapters about how it seems to be flipped. The light eyes should be the, the high, honorable ones, but in reality, it's people like Kaladin, the dark eyes, the lower class that is the, the more honorable one. Honestly, now that I think back on that, Paul, you, you bring up this really cool thought of how how poignant that is even now that we've seen that Kaladin had the opportunity to join the Light Eyes. He had the opportunity to take that Shardblade, which maybe we don't know for sure if that would have physically made him become a Light Eyes, but that that was kind of the expectation of if a Dark Eyes took a, a Shardblade, they would become one. And yet the man that we've seen in all this book, 800 pages, like you're talking about, Trevor, that perhaps the one man that deserves that level the most is Kaladin and he's the one man who doesn't take it. And that's telling of this world. I, I think. Yeah, and for sure. I mean, I mean, there's Dalinar who he's, he's going on his own journey to discover this and is making, you know, a lot of progress, but the, the, the Kaladin, he deserves it, but won't even take it. Tells you a lot about the light eyes. Yeah. So I want to mention something in chapter 59, which you might miss if you're going fast, but I think Gaz is dead. And it's not said clearly, but Caledon asks, what's her name? Hashal? Hashal. Yeah. He's like, well, where's Gaz been? Is he, is he okay? And she just responds with one word. No. And then they move on with the conversation, like that's (laughs) it. And I read that like, "Oh, is Gaz dead? I I think he is. Hmm. I don't know that I'm gonna miss him, but that that was rather blunt ending for Gaz there.
2: The way I feel like that's a very fitting response. In that we find out about him, we we kind of know what happened and we we hear a response but it's not that big it's not that big you know he was a big enough character that we kind of get the justice of finding out an answer yeah but nothing more than that nothing more than the direct answer
0: uh, it's part of me on my first read didn't even think about it like you're saying like if you go too fast you miss it but um mm-hmm. you, you got to think about the action movie the setting if you don't see them die are they really dead or are they just are they just fake dead
1: even with any tv show or movie nowadays even if you see them die <laughs> there's at least a 50% chance that they're coming back True. sometime in the in the future so if you want to take that view then then yeah there's this is definitely not definitive evidence that gaz is is dead i won't i won't hang my hat on that but My impression from the statement was that, yeah, Gaz might have been executed.
0: It's possible. Behind the scenes, hush hush.
1: Yeah. Maybe not. Maybe not. We'll see.
0: So, Kaladin, he's in the, I think he's in the chasms at this point. Um, Or maybe not. He's, it's in it's in this chapter and he's having a mental mental conflict with himself like he is with the rest of this book but um, I'll have I'll have a quote for you guys. I have to worry about what I can do, he told himself. those other bridgemen aren't my responsibility. Teft talked about the radiance about ideals and stories. Why couldn't men actually be like that? Why did they have to rely on dreams and fabrications for inspiration? If you flee, you leave all the other bridgemen to be slaughtered, a voice whispered within him. There has to be something you can do for them. No, he fought back. If I worry about that, I won't be able to save Bridge Four. If I find a way out, we're going. If you leave, the voice seemed to say, then you will fight for... Then who will fight for them? Nobody cares. Nobody. What was it his father had said all those years ago? He did what he felt was right because someone had to start. Someone had to take the first step. So, Kaladin is getting these magical powers. He's beginning to figure out what's what's happening to him and he'll start progressing here how much is he responsible for? He is in a very unique position to help bridge four, but he is also in a very unique position to help the rest of the bridgemen as well. How, at, at what point is that out of his responsibility? Because I would argue that he is growing in powers and there's that Spider-Man quote that we kind of quoted earlier. He is becoming more responsible for these bridgemen. He has, he has the ability to save bridge four therefore he has the responsibility to save bridge four at what point does that end though how many bridgemen is he responsible for
1: i think the question that you're you're asking right there is the it that might be the exact same question that Hoyd poses to to kaladin with his story we talked earlier he ends that story with what are you responsible for, Callen, Or What responsibility do you need to own up with? When I read this section of chapter 59, I immediately thought back to that. Is that what Hoyd is referring to? Is he referring to this essential decision that Caledon's going to have to make of how much of this do I, do I take on? Do I try and save bridge four? Do I try and save every single bridgeman everywhere? Do I try and save every single slave in Roshar? I mean, I think that's what you're getting at. Trevor is, you know, how how far is this realistic for for Kaladin to to tackle? And right, I don't know. I think that's something that Kaladin has been wrestling with and is probably still going to continue to wrestle with as his power grows. I think that was totally a, a non-answer to your question, but that was my thought. That was
0: a good one. Yeah.
1: Any thoughts, Paul? What?
2: Honestly, I think you covered it super well.
0: It's fair. All right. Are there any? Are there any closing thoughts to this? Uh, this episode seventeen, uh, as a whole. So at the end of this episode, or,
2: or honestly, all these chapters went fairly long on this because all these chapters are getting to a point where it's just a bunch of payoff and a bunch of really cool scenes and so uh i i'm super excited for the future and i'm super happy about these chapters uh, i feel like i uh, could another cool thing was we kind of get a glimpse at the very end of kaladin kind of experimenting and trying to use his search binding yeah uh, but i'm super curious to see for later on because honestly it wasn't that exciting he just kind of tries to climb <laughs> and it, he sticks it, some rocks to a wall right. and yeah not, nothing super big right. but i'm really curious to see once he kind of gets this integrated into his normal system and, and actions how how he'll go with that and what he can do
1: because i've seen what he can do Yes, exactly. I'm too. I'm really curious to see where Kaladin's powers are going now that he knows what he can do and is starting to experiment. How how fast is he going to grow? Is he going to really grow into this really quickly? We've seen before that Kaladin's pretty just kind of naturally gifted and talented in, in what he does. So is he going to take to this like a fish to water and, and really, you know become really powerful really quick or is this something that he's going to have to study and learn and maybe in the next book go off and study with some master to become you know actually good at this i I don't know i'm curious to see where this goes the other thing i'm curious to see is what's going to happen with these bits and parts of the parshendi that he's put in this sack that he's now tied to the bottom of this bridge that he's carried up we mentioned before in a previous episode how He's seen Shen's, the the, par- the parchment that's on their bridge crew, uh, Shen. They, he's seen his reaction to how they, whenever they touch the Parshendi corpses. And he mentions, he thinks that, oh, I can use that. This seems to be tied to that, but I still am not sure how. As he's going to take these parts up to this bridge, what is he going to do with them? Is he going to throw them at the Parshendi when they get to the battle? Like, I, I really don't know where where this is is going with that, but I, I, I want to know. Hopefully we'll find out. Find out soon. I do have just to wrap up this uh, this episode. A, a very small new Kaladin theory.
2: Okay. During
1: this uh, during this scene where he climbs the wall, he uses the the lashings to bind the rocks to the wall. He climbs up them just like handholds and footholds. When he gets to the top, I'll read a, a brief uh, section. It says this: He didn't get vertigo from the height. Instead, he felt a little surge of excitement. Something about him had always liked being up high. It felt natural. That sparked an idea for me. Callardon has always been tied to wind. He's always been described as he has this wind around him. He's storm-blessed. He has still the maybe windspread, I guess we're not sure now, but with him. Kaladin has always been seemed to equate to wind in my mind. Now he's talking about he he loves being up high. He's always been that way. He doesn't get vertigo and he's looking down. I think at some point along the line. We got a throwaway reference to Knights Radiant riding the storms. I, I think that might be where Kaladin is headed. And I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what riding the storms means. But based on what I've learned of Kaladin so far and the powers he's starting to 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 gain, that seems to describe what I think Kaladin might be capable of, riding the storms.
0: What do you think he'll just fly away?
2: Yes.
1: <laughs> I don't know. I don't even know what that means. If that's like powers to control uh, the high storm or powers to fly or powers to ride on the wind like surfing I, I don't know but Kaladin riding the storm I think that's going to happen at some point
0: I like it good prediction you guys have been I, I feel I mean, like he's... you've actually had a positive percentage of correct predictions versus incorrect predictions so far
1: like it's... we need to go back back and tally it up when we hit the end of the book yeah, yeah.
2: seriously true uh, I'm really excited once we find out that Yasna isn't real <laughs> that, that will be one of my correct predictions
0: as well <laughs> all right any uh, anything else that's all I have
1: that's everything for me
0: all right uh thank you for thank you for joining me guys and we will continue next week
2: later. Adios.